0: craft beer radio coverage of savor an american craft beer and food experience salon number five cross drinking without social stigma hosted by julia hurd craft beer program director brewers association panel consists of lauren Buzo, assistant tasting director wine enthusiast magazine ray isle senior editor food and wine magazine Ken Wells, Senior Editor, Conde Nast Portfolio, sponsored by
1: National Beer Wholesalers Association.
2: Um, we first and foremost want to thank you all for attending and supporting the craft beer movement, which is definitely a revolution at this point. Would you agree? Everyone um, uh, hopefully can explain what a craft brewer is. What is a craft brewer? Oh, i got to turn that radio off. Craft brewer. In um, 2007, there were 1,449 breweries operating um, in the U.S., And 1,420 of those are considered craft brewers by the Brewers Association for our purposes of um, compiling statistics. (laughs) What does that mean? They're smaller producing, so they produce 2 million barrels of beer a year or less. That's not a lot of beer. Um, They're independently owned, so they don't have huge advertising dollars. But you know what they have? They have something better. They have you all. That is what it's all about. This has been a trickle-up effect. This has been grassroots at its best, at its finest. And we encourage you to walk into your local restaurant and demand your local beer. Absolutely. And then the third um, part of being a craft brewer is they're traditionally practicing. So traditionally practicing means they ferment mostly all malt. Um, Why are we here in D.C. for this inaugural event, Saver? Well, we wanted to come to the seat of power. In DC, we feel very at home. Small brewers are starting to get a voice, and I think DC is a very appropriate place. Would you all agree that DC has a decent beer culture going on? How many people? How many people from DC in the room? All right. How many people um, flew in from out of town for savor? So a pretty good mix, very diverse mix. That's excellent. You oh he drove. (laughs) So um, what we have uh, going on um, that we want to make you aware of, little uh, housekeeping notes, is you have um, cups that you're going to be served in. Now these cups... Uh, are used in judging situations at the Great American Beer Festival that the Brewers Association puts on, as well as the World Beer Cup. So even though you'll be drinking out of plastic, you're being very taken care of by these plastic cups. They will impart no odor or no taste or aroma. So, I mean, essentially they, they are there for you to taste as judges would be judging beer in the best beer competition in the country. So please be aware of that. Um, Is anybody from the MBWA here, National Beer Wholesaler Association, helped support this event um, and this particular salon as a Saver supporter? So we want to thank the MBWA particularly. Anybody from Reyes Beverage Group? Reyes was the um, presenting partner of Saver with the Brewers Association. You can't put on events like um, this without those kind of supporters. So we thank them both. And what I want to do now is remind you to turn your cell phones off. If you have to exit during the salon, you want to exit through the back of the room. So let's go ahead and dive into our cross-drinking salon. Um, I'm about three feet tall, so I can't stand behind the podium. Uh, it's just not going to happen. Um, what, we're, what our hour together is going to be here. And by the way, I'm Julia Hers with the Brewers Association. Um, we're going to talk a little bit What do we mean by cross-drinking. I can't wait to hear what you guys think that term means. And we're going to meet our journalist cross-drinkers, these very brave men and women. Women are here to admit that they are journalists, cross-drinkers. And so we're going to experience a challenge. We didn't put this in the program, but you guys were in for a treat. You all are in for um, a blind tasting. So the journalists have been given the option to choose either a cheese or a chocolate, which is in front of you. Please don't eat it yet. Hold off. Hold off. And they chose that, and they were given the option to choose any beer from one of the craft brewers in the Great Hall of the 48 craft brewers. And they had to choose... Their journalist challenge was to choose the best pairing that they could come up with. So you guys are going to taste it blind with each of them as they defend their pairing. After we've gone through all three choices or all three pairings, they're going to each get one more chance to argue the case on why they thought that their pairing was the best of the three. And the kicker is we're not revealing the brands. That's the brands of the beers. That's what a blind tasting means. You're not going to see the bottles or packages until the end. But any self-proclaimed beer geeks, raise your hand. Who's a beer geek? There's beer lovers and there's beer geeks. It's okay to be either. But if you're a beer geek, you're in the back of your mind trying to guess that brand. And if you do, I commend you. That's part of the fun of this. So what about um, cross-drinkers? My point in um, talking about this term is I'm trying to say and point out to you all that the majority of fermented beverage appreciators um, are cross-drinkers. Whether you drink spirits... Wine or beer? You're probably enjoying more than one. You're not just solely dedicated to that actual beverage. So um, we want to establish too. Uh, we got some beer lovers. Any home brewers in the room? Okay, great. Anybody making wine at home? Any journalists in the room?
0: Anybody making vodka at home? It's illegal. Don't yeah, do that. Yeah, he's hot on
2: this one. He's hot on this one. We got to get him talking about that. Um, Any foodies in the room? Foodies? What do we mean by foodies? Do you have uh, private olive oil tastings with yourself in your kitchen? (laughs) Do you find yourself thinking about what capers and what capers come from? You're a foodie. Admit it. So, who is cross-drinking? Do me a favor, audience. Raise your left hand if you drink beer and enjoy beer. Keep it up. Raise your right hand if you drink and enjoy wine. (laughs) The entire damn room is cross-drinkers. Point proven. All right. So, um, you know, they say that many of us are promiscuous or experimental with our beverage choices. But I would go as far to say that us cross-drinkers are deliberate with our beverage choices. We know that there's a different beverage for different occasions. You know, margarita, hot summer day. Some of us will enjoy a scotch to ease into the evening. And then beer or wine with our dinner or appetizers or lunch or breakfast, depends. (laughs) So we do have a statistic for you to chew on, too, when we talk about cross-drinking. Two-thirds of wine drinkers drink beer and two-thirds of beer drinkers drink wine. That is a confirmed statistic. So that's what we can kind of take away from this is understanding that. And, um, you know, sales of the three main beverage categories great thing for big picture and perspective for you all 28 billion dollars of wine was sold in the u.s. in 2007 28 billion 62 billion dollars of liquor was sold in the u.s. and then on the top 97 billion dollars of beer Now of that, craft beer represented $5.74 billion. So that kind of shows you what's going on with what um, these people out here are having success at. That number is ever increasing. The beer category grew 1.4% in 2007, all beer sold. But craft beer grew 12%. And in the last four years, craft beer alone has grown 58% as a segment of the beer category. So some pretty fun and impressive statistics to share. So you might ask the question, why do we care about outing cross drinkers? Well, I loved the idea of outing these guys. They're already it, but they weren't publicly admitting it. And now they're here doing that for us. And I would encourage you to do that with your friends. Get them thinking. You know, beer... It's an intellectual beverage. At least craft beer is. So let's be intellectual about it. Let's approach it that way. So let me give you some good crossing drinking examples. Today, wine has become less intimidating, right? It's a little more understandable. It's a little more attainable. There's so many more choices out there. So wine has kind of come down a level, and that's a good thing. Well, beer has come up a notch. National Public Radio last year stated, beer has gone from the House of Commons to the House of the Lords. And that's a really great line to kind of show what's going on with both of those. And, um, you know, when we were talking about the salon, it was pointed out in Napa. If you go tour Napa, what do you see in the wineries in the back rooms? Ray Isle pointed it out.
0: Hidden behind the barrels, there's beer.
2: Kegs of beer. Winemakers
0: can't function without beer. They they (laughs) they They don't succeed at making wine without beer.
2: Kegs of beer, cases of beer. The saying in Napa Valley is it takes a lot of good wine. Sorry saying in Napa Valley is, takes a lot, a lot of good, of good beer, beer to make wine. And that statement, I think, really rings true to cross-drinking because U.S. is making some of the best wine in the world. And our winemakers, they're drinking beer, people, to get themselves through the day, to get the end of that day. So with that, is this, a dis- is this cross-drinking discussion a discussion on beer versus wine? Nope, that's next. You're two presenters for that one. They're the next hour. This is a discussion on um, pairing beer with food, and why wine, drinking, loving, appreciating professionals also appreciate, drink, and love beer. So that's why today in our blind tasting challenge, we're only going to pair with craft beer. So are you guys ready to meet our journalists? Are you really, really ready? Okay. First we have Ray Isle with Food and Wine Magazine. Mr. Ray. Lauren Buzo in the middle with Wine Enthusiast Magazine. And Mr. Ken Wells with Condé Nast Portfolio is our last cross-drinking journalist today. All right, I love Rocky. <laughs> You guys didn't stand up. Was, we are going to get you standing up, maybe. Oh, right. Where were the steps? I thought we were supposed it's to run, run up the steps. steps. That's <laughs> Philadelphia is
0: Philadelphia? I can't
2: remember. Okay, so here's how we're going to roll with this. We're going to ask them a series of questions. I'm going to. i prepared a few to warm them up and warm you all up. And then if you all want to ask the journalists a question to intimidate them, to scare them, to make them think that their pairing might be the best, but might not, then we're going to have you ask some questions to get to know them. <laughs> So we're going to ask one question and then go down the row. They're each going to answer the question. So Ray, what do you do at your organization and how did you get your job?
0: I uh, drink. <laughs> <laughs> I got it by drinking too. No, I'm I'm uh, the uh, deputy wine editor at Food and Wine. I write uh, most. I write the wine recommendation column called Tasting Room. I do. All the pairing suggestions for the magazine for the recipes we publish. I um, have a regular wine blog that I write. Um, but I do write about beer and spirits as well. Um, and I've uh, talked about both beer and wine on TV here and there. And, the, and how I got the job um, well, I got the job at Food and Wine by being hired away from another wine magazine, Wine and Spirits Magazine, um, and got that job by freelancing as a journalist about pretty much anything anybody would pay me to write about. Um, But I fell in love with wine at at some point and abandoned a a not particularly promising academic career to move to wine, which is full of really terrific people. But beer, hey, it's full of terrific people too. Um, And that's what I do. And that's how I got there.
2: And now
0: it's Lauren's turn.
2: Lauren.
3: (laughs) Um, So I am the assistant tasting director at Wine Enthusiast Magazine, which basically means that I play with a whole lot of wine. Um, Whether it's receiving, tasting, setting up tastings, meeting with producers, writing about it, doing the reviews, um, it's basically all things related to wine. In addition to that, however, I also uh, provide a a good amount of beer coverage for the magazine. We've been uh, increasing our coverage of beer uh, since I began, and hopefully I will continue to champion that as much as possible, and hence the reason I'm here. Um, I got involved in the industry very luckily through my family. Um, I've always sort of been around fine wine and fine beverages in addition to fine food, hence the nice gut. So uh, hopefully that'll continue. I enjoy it a lot, and that's basically it.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm Ken Wells. I, I've actually been bi curious since I was about 17 years old. <laughs> it, it, it started when I, you know, with Boone's Farm and and uh, Falstaff, but I've gotten better since then. I, I'm I'm am I'm a senior editor at Condé Nast Portfolio Magazine. I got hired because we went to lunch with the top editor and she got drunk and, and hired me. Uh, and I, uh, I I'm, I'm ve- I, I sometimes contribute to their beer coverage, and I, I do that as a result. Or the fact that I wrote a book called Travels with Barley, The Quest for the Perfect Beer Joint a few years ago, which just came out in paperback. So that's my credential. All
2: right. Everyone, do me a quick favor. Take the beer that was just poured. Put it on number one, just in case it's not on your sheet so you don't get confused.
0: This is going to be one of the things where you bring out like jilted wine people who are going to be hurt that we've moved
1: over to beer, right?
2: This is not This Is Your Life. Okay. This is okay. <laughs>
3: just checking.
2: All right. Ken, where'd you grow up?
1: Uh, I grew up in a little place called Bayou Black, Louisiana, deep in the, in the swamps, actually.
2: Excellent. Lauren?
3: I grew up in the very boring suburbs of Westchester County, New York, right outside of the city.
2: <laughs> Ray?
0: I grew up in Houston, Texas, which was built on a swamp, but is no longer a swamp except for the mosquitoes. <laughs>
2: That's a weird answer.
0: <laughs> you know, what can I say?
2: Um, okay, Ray, first beer you remember having?
0: Uh, You know, really unsurprisingly, uh, Budweiser. um, I think my, you know, what can you say? That's what my dad drank. It was around the house. Um, Often what is around the house is what you first drank, um, strangely enough. It was a pre-craft beer era, let's say, particularly in Texas. You know, it was kind of like Lone Star Bud. I mean, it was before Coors was even east of... Colorado.
2: Isn't he sounding defensive?
0: I know. I should feel defensive. I mean, you know, what are you doing? Drinking butt? In this room? I'm like, I'm going to get killed.
2: No, you're fine. You're among friends. Lauren?
3: Um, I don't really think you guys want to hear about my first beer. All I can tell you is it was in a 40-ounce glass bottle and had a screw top. So I'm just going to go with my first aha beer moment, which was... um, while I was working at an Italian restaurant, this lovely old Italian man was sitting at the bar and introduced me to the pairing of a beer de Moretti with a nice pizza margarita. And uh, to this day, it remains one of my favorite pairings on a hot summer day.
1: Uh, I had a fall staff. I was 11 years old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was. I didn't drink the whole thing. But my father, you know, he had a very European attitude about drinking. You know, you socialize your kids by giving them drink, not, not prohibiting it. And he drank Falstaff because he loved the baseball game of the week, I think it was on one of the networks, and it was sponsored by Falstaff. And Dizzy Dean and Pee Wee Reese did the play-by-play, and my grandfather had played baseball with Dizzy Dean briefly in the semi-pro leagues. And so my father thought that Falstaff was actually helping out Arkansas people. They knew, so that's why he drank it. So that's why I drank it.
2: And um, staff can serve the second beer now too. We're going to get all three beers served, and then we'll taste. Okay. Julia, first Good beer answer. you ever drank? What?
0: First beer you ever drank?
2: Oh God, I don't know how to think about that. Probably in my parents' basement from my brother's stash, hiding behind some something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the brand. My dad liked Canadian beer. He definitely liked Canadian beer.
0: It's, it's always nice that there's always a, like sort of furtive excitement associated with that first beer.
2: Absolutely, it's like your first kiss, right? Okay. Not exactly. <laughs> Weirdest place you've ever had a beer? Weirdest place you've ever had a beer, Ray?
0: Weirdest place I've ever had a beer that I can tell you about and still not want to hide. Um, uh, one of the weirder places is actually um, and, uh, on a golf course in Houston, it, it, the Houston. The public golf course in Houston used to let you buy a, a Mrs. Baird's bag of, um, of ice filled with cans of beer. And you would, like, walk around the course whacking golf balls. And I, didn't, we, I mean, this was during college. We didn't know how to play golf, but it was just an activity. You could get a golf, you know, get this whole white bread bag full of beer and ice and go around whacking balls for a few hours, <laughs> irritating the hell out of anybody who could play golf. But uh, that was sort of my weirdest beer experience off the top of my head. Um, it was kind of fun. That's,
2: that's a good one. Lauren?
3: <laughs> uh, weirdest beer... Uh, I'd have to, for the sake of remaining decent, say in a planetarium at a laser light show I don't know, that's the weirdest thing I could come up with right now
2: (laughs) What do you mean for the sake of remaining decent? What was the real answer? Oh, Julia,
3: I don't think you want me to go there right now
2: (laughs) (laughs) right, we'll leave it at that Ken?
1: Yeah, yeah, I I drank it out of my college girlfriend's navel Um, I mean, you know It's how I
2: (laughs) Good answer
1: you know, it was a Budweiser, <laughs> and, and it was either her perfume or that little, you know, green apple bite. I can't remember, but it was, it was pretty good.
2: All right, we'll throw you guys a bone and let you have some um, wine comment now. What do you think, um, how would you answer when it comes to food? What do you like about beer compared to food? I'm sorry, beer when you pair with food as compared to wine when you pair it with food. Ray.
0: Um... I like both. I mean, actually, I, mean, I, I spent a lot of time doing pairings, um, which is kind of an odd thing to find oneself being paid to do, um, but very pleasant. Um, and I, I, I quite like, you know, I like beer with wine. I mean, beer, I like beer with wine. I like wine with beer. I like a little vodka thrown in, He's a in true too. cross drinker. <laughs> um, I, I, I like beer with food as much as I like wine with food, sometimes for different reasons. I mean, both go... both. Uh, both innately go well with food, um, and and one of the the pleasures of, of both of them is that, that they're they are terrifically adaptable in a way. I think one one of the differences between them is wine. A lot of the the the, uh, the pleasures and adaptability of wine with food come from th- from its acidity and its and its fruit characteristics. And beer, you get you get some fruitiness, particularly from you know in Belgian beers from est- from the estuary content. But you've got much more bitterness. You've got um, you've got less acidity and it's it's a, it's a different experience. You've got a different alcohol content as well, you know, so you volume-wise you're talking a different experience. I think the the flavor profiles make them sometimes suitable to different things. Um, but there's such what I find when when pairing when coming up with pairing notes, there's such variety at this point in the beer world available in the US and there's such incredible variety in the wine world as well that that um that in, almost without fail, if I can find a wine that goes with a dish, I can find a beer that goes with it, too, which is kind of cool. Um, I mean, we're, the magazine's called Food and Wine, so I'm obligated to err to the wine side a lot, but it's, it's, it's kind of a nifty thing. I and can s-
2: dispute that. So I have an issue of Food and Wine magazine right here, the June issue, and the beauty of what is happening here. I'm going to read a quote. And this is when they um, did an incredible pairing, Beer versus Wine, with Sam Calgioni and Marnie Old. Uh, what they said, F&W, Food and Wine Judges, ate, drank, and debated. We learned to embrace our inner beer geeks and admit that ales and lagers can be, used, can be as good with food as wine, dash, sometimes even better. So you guys, I think, I mean, I commend that, uh, that the, um, a, a magazine that is so... Ingrained in food is going in that direction. So,
0: yeah, as well, you know, wine has a head start in terms of pairing with food in the, in, in the context of people writing about it. Um, certainly, in the context of people writing at a, at a kind of like mm, frou-frou level about it. Not, and not that I work for a frou-frou magazine. Um, but, you know, obviously the history of beer being paired with food is immensely long. So, it's not as though people suddenly just figured out, oh, shoot, I could drink this with some food. <laughs> Man, that might be good. <laughs> So it's kind of cool. We are changing the name of the magazine to uh, Food, Wine, and Beer.
2: Oh, my God. (laughs) That's major progress. I I
0: haven't told anybody else on staff that.
3: (laughs) Okay. Lauren, you're next. Um, I could say probably the uh, most specific thing to me that uh, I go for when I'm pairing, uh, when I would like a beer with my food, is really the carbonation and the effervescence. I'm not a big fan of sparkling wines, Um, I know some people love them, uh, but they're just not really for me. Um, So immediately, if I need something that's a little bit lighter, that can pick up a little bit of a heavy dish, whether it be fatty or oily or whatnot, um, beer is is, uh, almost always my standby for that. Um, In addition, like Ray said, the... uh, the wide variety of flavors um, and ingredients that are being used in beer definitely allows it to be um, a lot easier to pair, I think, than wine. Um, You definitely have a lot of fruit flavor in wine, and you get a lot of nuances and and little sexy undertones that you can sometimes pick up and enhance in the food. Um, But with the beer, it's a lot more uh, blatant and obvious, uh, I think, to people at times. So um, that makes it easier for me. Uh, It definitely depends also on the temperature. Uh, If it's hot, I tend to go more for beer. Um, To me, the wine just... uh, Kind of makes you a little bit hotter, even if it's a white. So the alcohol definitely plays in, um, but that—that's pretty much where I stand.
2: Great, and um, I want to show an example. So wine enthusiasts, who Lauren's with, their March 2008 issue. Again, major progress and amazing to see. Um, they have the a portion of the Brewers Association 28 beer style breakdown on what entree, cheese, dessert. Proper glassware and proper serving temperature, and they printed this sh- this um, chart in uh, in the March 2008 issue. So amazing information that they're providing to their cross-drinking readers. So there you have it, Ken. Uh,
1: you know, I've always liked wine, but you know, when I ended up writing my beer book, I gave myself sort of a world-class beer education. So I actually feel like I know more about the beer spectrum. And I'm actually the kind of guy, when I go to a very nice restaurant, I defer to the sommelier if he actually seems like someone who knows something. But I love to cook, and I cook a lot at home, and I'm sort of the weekend chef in my family. And I'm also fond of just big-ass Cabernets. In fact, I think there's there's a, there's a label now called Big Big Ass. Big, yep. Big-ass Cabernets. Anyway, and so I, I, I spend a lot of time cooking very rich, lush pastas and trying to find the perfect... Cabernet or Sangiovese to, to pair with it. Beer, on the other hand, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm really astonished because what I love about it is, is what everyone else has said is is that you know the range and the complexity of flavors. I mean, there's so much out there to play with, and you can do desserts, you can do all kinds of stuff. But also, I'm I'm also besides part of my cooking repertoire, I'm a barbecue. I love to barbecue, and I love to barbecue really hot stuff. You know, Tex-Mex. Um, you know, You know, c- combinations. And I'm also a hop head, so I've spent a large amount of time on my weekends, especially in the summer, you know, just trying to find the great IPAs that I think really match up with this great spicy food that I, I make. Um, but that's sort of how, how I come to it. On a, on a practical level also,
0: standing in front of a grill with a glass of wine compared to standing in front of a grill <laughs> with a beer... Um, it's simply more pleasant to have the beer. I mean, Absolutely. you eventually get 95-degree wine, which is not pleasant at all, with a beer you know,
3: is nice, nice and cold. And beer makes an excellent barbecue sauce. It certainly does. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so, hey, Ken, can you tell us quick a little bit about your book, Travels with Barley?
1: Oh, Travels with Barley, uh, the, the subtitle is it's called The Quest for the Perfect Beer Joint. And essentially it's a travelogue through what is now the $95 billion beer business in America. But the conceit is that I actually drove the entire length of the Mississippi River some summers ago uh, in a quest to find the perfect beer joint. And I kind of used the book. It's mostly travelogue, and it's not a beer-tasting book except, coincidentally, that I had to drink a lot of beer on the river. The other hilarious thing is that it was actually – I was at the Wall Street Journal, and it was a Wall Street Journal book, so they actually put me on sabbatical. And so I was on full pay and benefits and expenses for a full year drinking beer across America. I like that. Not
2: bad. (laughs) And I'd like to say that Ken's book is the first place I had ever heard of the term extreme beer. So I think at the time that it came out, it was really enlightening um, and and turning many people on to the advancement of what had gone on. All right, another quick question. What fermented beverages are in your in your refrigerator at home right now.
0: Right? Um, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> um, there. Let's see. There's a, There's several bottles of wine um, at the moment. There's some uh, various Pinot Gris from Oregon, because I was doing a story on that. Um, there's uh, a bottle of 30-year-old Tawny Port that is a fine thing um there's a couple of there's some vermouth there's a whole bunch of beer of various kinds, some stuff from Avery, some stuff from victory uh the uh, a Belgian double i think from anderson valley brewing um, bottle sake uh it, it, this is, the, this is the, the refrigerator of someone who works in this business. It's not to say that I like, am drinking all of this Again, every single night. Again, he sounds night. defensive. <laughs> you know? No, it's, in fact, my wife is drinking all of it. It's not me. It's, <laughs> <laughs> she's not here. Um, no, so it's, it's a wide range of stuff. I, I think there's probably, I don't know if there's a fermented beverage class that's excluded at the moment. That's kind of weird. And we compliment you for
3: that. Lauren? So the party's obviously at Ray's house when this is all over. Um, In my fridge... That's actually
0: just my mini bar at the uh, hotel.
3: (laughs) Okay. Uh, So wine fridge and, you know, cellared items aside, in the regular food fridge, uh, I have a Wolfer Rosé. I have a Spanish Albariño. I have a couple of growlers from a local brewery called Captain Lawrence, which is fantastic. Um, I have a bottle of Brooklyn Local One and... um, I think a couple of bottles of left run. So I'm kind of all over the place.
1: <laughs> uh, it's great, Ken. Uh, it, it was tragic, but as I was leaving, I realized that my wine cellar was empty. I didn't know how that happened. Um, but I, I always keep, I'm, 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 I'm enough of a Joe Sixpack that I always have either a Pills or Kell or a Stella, you know, some great lager, uh, um, uh, maybe um, um, uh, Smutty Nose lager, which I love. Uh, left Lawn, I had a whole six of that. Um, I have in my collector refrigerator in the basement, uh, Utopia's 06, um, and a couple of uh, Lost Abbey, uh, Cuvee de Tommy, and um, uh, Judgment Day, which I'm saving for either a really good day or a really bad day. <laughs> <laughs> At 11.5%. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm brewing now. I don't know if I told you. and I, I, I just nice. made my first Belgian style, I, I, and it's got... It, among the ingredients, all the hops and stuff, but I put uh, Vi- Viagra and ecstasy in it. And <laughs> you've heard of Chimay. Well, a racy called, cross drinker, isn't Well, he? you, you've heard of Chimay, this is called She Will. And, 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 and it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> My wife likes it. <laughs> That's a joke, actually. So.
2: Okay, audience, somebody come up with a great question for these guys. Who's got a question? <laughs> Don't be shy. All right, here you go.
3: I don't know what extreme beer is.
2: Sam, what's extreme beer in your definition?
3: I would say... By the way,
0: that's Sam Calagione from Dogfish Head, who's an expert on these things. I
3: don't know about (laughs) that, Uh, um, but... um, My definition would be a beer that either has an inordinate amount of traditional ingredients like an Imperial IPA or a Double Pilsner, or a beer that has some non-traditional ingredients uh, like uh, uh, Viagra or Ecstasy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, And there's uh, both examples uh, out on that floor, too.
0: My friend Sang Yoon, who's a chef in, in L.A. and a beer fanatic I did an article with, described extreme IPAs as basically IPAs that rip your face off, <laughs> which, you know, it's like, okay, with their hop content.
1: Well, I think cuve de Tommy is like a, a blend, you know, so, I mean, that's, to me, that's sort of an example of extreme beer. You know, people have not been blending beer for, you know, a long time anyway, so. It seems to me that if you, it's taking beer where beer's never been before and, is one definition.
2: That's a great way to put it. We got Susan? Chris. Um, what would your last meal be with wine and what would your last meal be with beer?
3: Wow. That's a really good one.
0: Hmm. Good question. Uh, I have to think about that for a second. First, it's a question of the last meal. I think it's the prospect of a last meal is kind of disheartening. Um, I would. It would honestly probably be some multi course thing that would involve wine and beer and possibly sake um i, I do I actually you know fermented this is a beer event, but in terms of fermented beverages, sake is amazing stuff um, not as amazing as beer of course um, you're okay, but uh I would start with some kind of raw fish thing and then move on to... It would, this would end up in the big meat zone. You know, I don't know if it would be braised short ribs or, or a very large steak. I think, you know, probably a very large steak. A very large, very good steak. Really good steak. I mean, I'm just going to torture everybody who knows that there's food out there and you can't have it right now. Um, so, um, not really... I'm not a dessert guy, so I kinda can cancel the dessert just in order to eat more of the earlier stuff. Um, great pasta carbonara with wine, probably. That's one thing that... I, pasta carbonara and beer is maybe not my favorite combination. But I'm willing... If it's my last meal, I'll jam it all in there. You know, I'll, I'll be trying to have everything.
3: Um, yeah, I originally went with meat, too, but I've changed my mind. It would be a 10-pound lobster with a Mont Rocher. Uh, that's wine-wise. <laughs> and uh, beer-wise, um, I suppose a nice, maybe... Uh, Sour brown Belgian with uh, some thick beef stew. That sounds good to me.
1: <laughs> I, I would have a, a giant bowl of pasta with frau diavolo sauce and shrimp and crab, and pair that with a lovely sangiovese. And then um, I, I grew up in Cajun Louisiana, and I actually I cook Cajun, so and I and I I love gumbo, and I sort of <coughs> cook my mother's gumbo recipe, and so I would certainly cook a gumbo. And uh, I'm going to ask some of you after, I don't know if there are gumbo eaters here, but, you know, because I, I keep questing for the perfect beer with a chicken andouille gumbo. And, um, you know, pale ale goes pretty well, but there must be other combinations. But that's probably what I would do.
3: I have to actually change my answer and forget the food for the beer. Just give me a bottle of Lindemann's Frambois. That's definitely what I want on the way out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that would substitute for
3: dessert. That'd be, yeah, that'd absolutely. Be okay. I could drink that any time of day.
2: That's a great addition. So any last audience question, or should we just get to the tasting? we got one over here. we got two. Hi. Uh, I'm, I'm more on the wine side. I'm learning more about the beer side. But you always hear about wine and food pairing. I'm starting to learn about beer and food pairing. But is there any similarity in style? So, for example is like a hopsy beer like a Sauvignon Blanc, can you go that way or is that... Yeah,
0: a, I, I think you can, beer. I mean, uh, to, I, hops, I, I mean, in making those correlations, which I think, I think you can do, and you know, the first thing I, first thing I tell people in terms of pairing is it's, you know, most things work out okay, you know, it's not like you're going to pair something and invite people over and they're going to go, oh God, why did you invite me over for this garbage, I'm not your friend anymore. Um, so, you know, generally pairing is a fairly forgivable art. Um, but I do think hops can work somewhat like acidity in in wine, so that if you 're looking at something like you know let 's say you know uh, fried calamari or something where you want an acidic white wine to cut through the fat that 's in the, in the fried shell, ideally not too much fat um, something like a hoppy really really hoppy IPA with a lot of citrus and a lot of you know bitterness to it can work the same way um, similarly, I find that big dark ales work a lot like red wines i mean you don 't want I, if I have a big steak, I, I usually want something like, you know, uh, it's not exactly that big, but it's like Sam Smith's nut brown ale or something with, with a steak rather than a lager. Um, and that's, so there's, one way to look at it is terms of weight. That's a very good basic pairing consideration, sort of lighter, lighter styles of wine or beer with lighter foods, bigger robust styles with, with bigger, richer foods. And that's, a, I mean, within that you could play around, but it's a, it's a nice basic rule of thumb.
3: Yeah, I completely agree. A lot of the concepts are, are very similar to, um, you know, pairing strengths. You don't want to overpower one over the other. Um, working with uh, the hops, bitterness, um, and acidity. It, it's all very actually similar to wine. Um, so, yeah, very, very close relationship.
2: Can you want to answer? No. He's good. <laughs> all right, we have a question in the back. There was a gentleman that raised his hand in the back. Or did he go? He's on the end of the...
3: I just had uh,
2: sort of odd pairings. Like, I can figure out what sort of beer I should have with chili, and I can figure out what sort of, what sort of beer to have with, say, spaghetti with a marinara sauce. But what wine with chili and what beer with marinara sauce? <laughs> maybe this goes back to the, the previous, right. the last question, but uh, sort of specific recommendations, and
0: if you could show your work, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> take the chili. <laughs> you, go ahead. You jump on the chili there.
3: Uh, wine with chili. I'd probably, uh, my one of my favorite pairings uh, with hot food is definitely sweet wines. Um, so looking for a nice Riesling or even um, you can go with a Gruner Veltliner, but nothing too sweet. Um, I find that the balance uh, works out perfectly. It doesn't; The sweetness isn't too strong. It helps mellow out the spice, and the spice doesn't completely cancel out the sweetness. So as far as that goes, a lot of people have complications pairing uh, spicy foods, but that's my recommendation all the way. Uh, it, it works out 99.9% of the time, so I say go with that.
0: Um, regarding marinara, I, I'll back up a second. There's a kind of a, with pairing. There's you can, you can kind of go one of two directions. You can you can contrast flavors, you can, or you can kind of bring flavors together that are similar. Um, I often find that with um, acidic foods and marinara, it, it, tomatoes are, are basically acidic. Um, you're actually better off with a, with a, this is one reason why Sangiovese works so well with marinara. Because Sangiovese is a fairly tart, you know, medium-bodied red grape. Um, and I think in some ways I'd I'd like a beer. Um, with, just off the top of my head because I haven't had beer with Marinara recently, but I... Um, i not had Marinara recently. I need to get my act together. Um, I would probably go with something that, you know, either a, a fairly interesting lager or, or something Belgian that had... Um, you know, had had a lot of flavor to it. Had a lot of had some acidity and bitterness, but wasn't over the top in that regard. I don't think it would actually work well with it, like a, a a sweeter beer, um, which would be. That's one of those odd things where contrasting doesn't work so well. I mean, you you get something tart and intense, and you actually don't want something sweeter necessarily. If you have a green salad, for instance, with a vinaigrette, you're actually better off with something like a Sauvignon Blanc because it's got enough acidity to 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 pair to. To stand up to the salad, if you try um, doing a bigger white wine like a Chardonnay with a, with a green salad, what you'll find is that the vinegar in the salad will overwhelm the white wine. Um, so, similarly with a beer, I'd probably go with a with a those kind of fresher, crisper, um, hoppier beer with a green salad. In the same way, I went with marinara. Um, it's, a, it's you know, as I said, it's it's kind of an imperfect. It, it, at best, science, imperfect art, the art of pairing. And, and it's funny that you mentioned the article. Everybody should go to the next seminar, too, because they can talk to Sam, Sam and Marnie, which is this article we did, and I was in on the tastings for that, though I didn't write the article. And, you know, a lot of the times, I mean, while well, we've all of us done this a lot of times, and we were right on, but the few of the things we thought were going to work, you know, were just bizarrely not working. <laughs> and some of the things we thought were seemed a little sketchy you know, there's always these wonderful moments where you, you try something you don't think is going to work, especially when you're dealing with oddball re- like really oddball recipes, like, you know, um, so ceviche. Like sa- I was trying to pair something with a salmon ceviche that had been kind of quick-cooked by pouring hot sesame oil over it and then had sort of Thai chilies and something sweet around the edge, I forget. And it's like, okay, um, we got semi-raw fish sesame oil, hot Thai chilies and a sweet like mango something, I forget what, and it's like uh, water, you know uh. <laughs> just go shoot myself now, um, but in fact you know, as I said, pairing is relatively forgiving, you can pick a, lo- or a large range of things that work pretty well, it's looking for those things that really pop that's kind of fun um, I, I, you know, not to pump my own magazine, but the article we did with these guys is, is pretty cool because it, it suggests some, some pretty wild pairings that in fact work really well and If you stay for the later seminar,
1: then you get to see them argue with each other, which is even better. Yeah,
2: Ken, any comments?
1: Oh, I've had you know a, a nice marinara sauce with a hoppy lager, and I think it's perfectly yeah. fine. Yeah, um, And for bizarre reasons, I you know I, I like my chili with a Pinot Noir. Maybe that's not a great combination, mm-hmm. but it works for me. So,
0: I, th- I mean, I like my chili with a beer, um, but I like it with a Pinot Noir. It kind of depends also on how hot you make your chili. It, heat, actual just pepper heat. Um, will mess up a lot of wines pretty quickly, um, and it works well with a lot of beers. Um, you know, that's, that's uh, when you get to really hot foods, wine is a, is a tough match, except and even sweeter wines are a little sketchy. Not true. I, yeah, they work, but I just, I always want a beer. What can I say? I understand. <laughs> yeah, she paid me before this session. <laughs>
2: I paid him well, obviously. Okay, let's get on with the tasting. So, I just want to make sure everybody's on the same page before we start. Um, You have your beer number one. I think uh, my nose tells me that the cheese with the fork in it, if someone from the caterer can pop out while I'm um, confirming this, is number one. Damn, I'm good. All right. So that's what we're going to do. Lauren, you're first.
3: Okay. Okay. Cheese with
0: the fork no, in Do we reveal the... We don't reveal no, the... No, version. no. No, no. Right.
2: Here, let me... I'll, get, I'll set it up. So, audience, your job, and then I'll remind you of your guys' job. Audience, your job is to, germ, deter, to determine your favorite pairing of the three. And they talked about matching strength with strength. Look for harmonies. Look for flavor hooks. And at the end, how I'm going to choose my vote is is what was the most balanced, what complemented or contrasted each other to the, to the best level. And... Um, Our journalists are gonna taste everything with each of you and you're gonna just talk to it, but you're not gonna reveal the beer brand at all.
3: Yeah, I'm gonna try really, really hard not to do that because obviously when you know what it is, it's a difficult task to not mention it, so I'm gonna try really hard. Um, But basically, I picked a very strong beer to go with a very strong cheese. Um, This is an unfiltered brown ale that's aged in wood. Uh, It's 12% ABV, so it's definitely strong. And um, the sort of inspiration behind this pairing to me is very European and sort of French in style in that they have after dinner a cheese course that's frequently paired with a fortified wine. Um, That's the idea that I had behind this pairing. I could see having it after dinner um, or even an afternoon with friends when you have cheese out on the table and you just want uh, something small. You don't want to be pounding back the cups. Um, So uh, this... uh, The... Parmesan is obviously a very strong cheese. Can we say what cheese it is? We
2: just did. <laughs> okay. You're okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Parmesan. Uh, it's a very, very strong cheese. We all know that. Uh, very pungent, very sharp, a lot of salted nuttiness to it. Uh, and to me, it lingers a long, long time on the palate, so it's really hard to match anything with it to actually either go with or overpower that flavor and give you something completely different. To me, this beer does just that. It gives you a whole nother world of flavors. Um, It doesn't necessarily um, augment something in the cheese, but again, it's sort of like a yin and yang effect. You have one world with the cheese. You have a completely another world with the beer. Um, The beer has a lot of sweet undertones, vanilla, coffee, spice, um, definitely earthy aspects thanks to the wood aging. Um, And there's also a lot of dark fruit. Um, fruit always goes along with cheese as well so to me that works uh, on another level Uh, on the mouth the wood uh, you can definitely taste it provides a nice uh, spice and tannic structure Um, and the finish sort of ends on a uh, sharp note which would typically be given by uh, hoppiness Um, but since in hoppiness uh, a lot of times hoppy beers are paired with cheese so this is sort of another approach to that Um, I was looking for something really different thinking out of the box because, to me, pairing food and wine is really all about your preferences and about doing what you feel is right. Um, You know, there's a lot of rules, especially with wine and food pairing, that a lot of people get caught up in thinking that they need to follow, and that's not the case. You definitely have to just go with your gut and what you like. Um, So for me, this is it. The dichotomy of taste really just only augment the individual properties of both the cheese and the beer without um, drowning out any of their individual aspects, which is the most important thing to me because I really want everything enhanced. I want to be able to taste every single component of both the cheese and the beer. Uh, And to me, this does it. So enjoy. Hope you like it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, great presentation. I got a question for you. So what's your favorite way to get to know a beverage with a food, do you take bite of food first, then to beverage, then back to bite of food, or do you take a swig, then bite of food, then back to swig?
0: I usually take the oh, any of us I take that? the beverage out for a nice meal you
2: mu- cut you off, Good again. music,
0: set the mood, and then I eat the cheese and then I leave, that's... <laughs> I leave. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No,
3: that's cool. I'll typically taste the beverage first, if I uh, just to get acquainted with it. You don't want it to be jarring, especially when it's a higher alcohol. So I'll typically taste the beverage first, then go to the food, and then go back and see how it all works together.
1: Ken, Ken, yes,
2: (laughs) I'm busy swigging.
1: I'm I'm having a good time with the beer. (laughs) I kind of,
0: I mean, I I I sort of fluctuate. I always go back and forth. Do I like taste the? I I tend to taste the beer first, and then or the wine and then taste the food, partly because the wine is... Honestly, partly because when I'm at work, I'm spitting. And I spit the wine. I don't spit the food because it's disgusting. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, so you taste the wine, you spit it, because if you don't spit wine when you're at work and you're tasting 20 wines a day or more, you fall over. Um, Whereas the food, you just get rounder. Um,
3: Exactly.
1: (laughs) I usually go food, booze, food, booze, food, booze.
3: It's good, you know...
1: Whatever works for you.
3: I don't think it matters how you start, as long as you just keep going back and forth. That's it.
2: <laughs> All right, Ray, you're next.
0: Okay, so um,
2: the other cheese.
0: Let's try it first, and then I'll talk, or we talk, I talk, and then we try yeah. it. And you know, um, see, I'm breaking my own rules. I'm not trying the cheese first. Yes. Um.
2: Hopefully, since we're on the same page, everybody should have tried beer number one with the crumbly cheese that the fork was in it. Now we're going to beer number two, and you're looking for the other cheese on the plate. The cheese is a softer so, cheese.
0: What I did here, I mean, these are both, these are both things that I love. Um, this cheese is a um, it's a it's kind of like a Gruyere. It's a, a cheese called Hockey Brig. That's H-O-C-H. New word Y-B-R-I-G. Why this? You know, it's, it's a Swiss affineur, a guy named Rolf Beeler, and it's um it's like a Gruyere. It's a little bit nuttier and sweeter than a Gruyere. It's um, it's a cow's milk cheese. It's got a lot of um, all of that nutty, creamy quality. Not like a brie creaminess, but um, it's got a little bit of sharpness as a, as most Gruyères or, or Swiss cheeses do. Um, and then the, the beer is a, is a Belgian golden strong ale. And what I like about the combination, also just one of my favorite beers on the planet. Um, what I like about the combination is that the, the, the Strong Ale has enough um, bitterness to kind of counteract the milk-fat creaminess of the cheese, but something about the, the finish of the cheese, which is very nutty, kind of melds with the finish of the beer, to my mind, and it brings out characteristics in both that you didn't notice before. Um, there's a little bit of fruitiness to the beer, uh, which is classic you know, Belgian estuary quality. Um, and and to me, this, it's... There's a cheese, cheese guru, a guy named Max McCallman who's uh, uh works in New York, who's sort of one of the people responsible for the kind of expansion of cheese plates in, in New York restaurants, and he always talks about pairings being um, either zeros plus ones or plus twos or minus ones and minus twos. He so said there's a lot of zeros, there's a lot of things that just can you kind of put them together and they're they're all right. They, you know, they're fine. Whatever. Um, there's a few things you put them together, and one of the one of the things in the pairing is is better as a result. And there are very few, but when it's great, when it's great, when it's great, when you come across them plus twos where both both things are heightened, where you you kind of add qualities to both things. I, mean, I, i like to think this is a plus two where the beer and the cheese taste better as a result of the pairing. But um, well, that's kind of my sense of it. I'm um, yeah. Question. It's called Hawk, H O C H. New word. Brig, Y B R I G. It's Swiss. It's a the um, the um, producer's name. As I try and talk while choking down my cheese, is Rolf R O L F Beeler B E E L E R. Cow's milk. milk. Um, no, no, it's it's Swiss. It's I mean it's actually Switzerland Swiss. Um, and it's from one single herd of cows, and it's, it's it's a wonderful cheese. It's probably, I mean, I'm sure it's available in DC. It's, it's you know Sutton Place or something like that. But um, but to me that the, it's the, where this pairing really works is on the finish, where the flavors of the cheese and the flavors of the beer just kind of keep going and um, and really work together. I think I think wonderfully. But you know, hey, I'm biased. It's my pairing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ken, you're up.
1: We'll buy this chocolate. Yeah.
2: Third beer. Obviously, the chocolate.
1: But the thing, your name is
0: Wells. So otherwise the way we chocolate first.
1: Oh. Oh. Wow. <laughs> this is an, an Ecuadorian chocolate, seventy percent cocoa butter, thirty um, percent cane sugar. It's made by organic elves. <laughs> <laughs> and carried down the mountain by rabbits. No, it's it's a, you know it really is a, a, a stunning boutique chocolate, and you know it, since since I've already confessed that I like big ass cabernets, then it might not shock you that I like big ass stouts. So you have to nose this first. I mean this is this is a delicious boozy, rich, dark, roasty. You know, the I mean, the South Africans, when I used to go there all the time for the Wall Street Journal, had this saying, ABT, almost better than sex. And to me, you know, this stout and this combination is almost better than sex.
2: Wow, he's good. I want to vote for better than sex. But I'm not voting, so don't worry.
0: Vote on the taste, not on the seduct- seductiveness. <laughs> he's obviously got you. <laughs>
1: and I think, they, I think they just are a lovely complement to each other, you know, the, the bittersweet of the chocolate, you know, is, you know, when, when you get the beer, just think that the way they m- marry in your mouth is just divine. Who's the producer of the chocolate? Oh, it's called uh, Ascanose, Ascanose Chocolate, and it is made from Ecuador. I don't know if the elves are organic or not, but, and it's not carried down fueled by rabbits, but anyway, but, it, um, but it's imported. In the U.S. and it's I mean, it's just a lovely, lovely thing. So,
2: can I talk about the chocolate? Is that okay? Yes, Florida absolutely. Yeah. It's um. Have you guys heard of Askinosi? They donated this chocolate. They're definitely up and coming chocolate maker. This is seventy percent cacao, um, and uh, they we thank them very much. You can check them out on Google them and then definitely order some chocolate from them. Great chocolatier. So we're almost at the end of the hour. Everyone feel like they're ready to vote. Is Andy still in the room? I'm going to need some help counting. Hold on. Um, Set alcohol for that, we will reveal when we reveal the brand. Even though Lauren already revealed her alcohol. That shouldn't influence your vote. Go ahead. I think the
0: cheese and chocolate samples were too small. (laughs)
2: <laughs> He's a curmudgeon cross-drinker
0: <laughs> Crotchety cross-drinkers Crotchety you know. curmudgeon
2: Okay, so I'm going to need a little help counting Because my brain's a little scrambled What we're going to do Is we're going to make this an open voting Don't be shy It's okay, we won't judge you on your choice So who <laughs> thinks pairing number one Lauren Buzo's pairing Hands up, we're going to count oh. Will you count Keep them up Then we'll get the full count. Once we have the full count, we will drop. And now I'm not voting. My hand's not up for voting. I have to recuse myself. I knew the brands. I was just showing them how to hold their hands up. Okay. If we're close, we'll do a recount. But she thinks. We'll take (laughs) things. Okay. Number two. Ray Isle's beer. Ray Isle. Oh, man. We're going to have like a runoff or something. Ooh, you, huh? We got some major pallets in this room, by the way, while we're counting. It's like a smorgasbord of good pallets. It's going to be close. 21. Okay, we might have to have a runoff if the I other think, ones don't I think not Ken, us.
0: Ken may have nailed it.
2: All right, number three, <laughs> Ken's.
0: Ooh, this is this close?
2: Wow we all rock you guys do rock <laughs> this,
0: this is one thing you find when you're doing pairings actually is that people's palates vary a lot yes and you know it's gratifying it's, they should vary a lot people have different tastes they like different things and that's why you always 2021-22 20, get out
2: all right the lady in the, the room the we triumphs. have a winner <laughs> Lauren Buzo wine enthusiast fabulous job yeah. I think you can each be proud. You were so close.
3: Yeah, that was yes. very close. But yeah, you're, you're totally right. It perfectly exemplifies everybody's varying palates and tastes and personal preferences, which is exactly what I was saying before. When you're pairing, forget about the rules. Damn the rules. Just go for what you think is right. Just taste everything and figure it out for yourself. That's all that matters, and that's all that you need to remember.
0: Ignore scores.
2: Yeah, yeah. Ignore absolutely. Scores. Lauren said um, think outside the box. I say drink outside the box. Expand your horizons. Well, congratulations, Lauren, yeah. and thank you there both. You oh, you what a great, great salon. Want I to thank you each.
0: Lauren Lauren
3: wins $15,000, is that right? Yeah, yeah, we're going to show. Don't you guys want to know what you're drinking? Oh,
0: yeah, we have to <laughs> tell you that. I don't know. How do we know which is the right one? Just
2: this check. is mine. I- Picked it in advance, I think. Oh, the
0: beer. Right. This is the beer we chose. Duh.
2: Yeah. <laughs> all right. On three. Day, one, two, Wait, three. Reveal mine. your brand. Mine's tied up. I can't. Of course,
0: no one can see it from out there, but. Uh, so
1: we can, Okay. We can so what we've our our got. List. Yeah. Kim Kim go
2: ahead. You, real quick.
0: Ken's having technical difficulty. Um, I chose Russian River Brewing's Damnation, um, which is, um, I just, I, I, I love this beer. I would, I would happily, you know, if, if they, I mean, I happily drink a lot of different beers, but. You know, if I got stuck with this on a desert island, I'd be a happy guy. And, uh, and Russian River Brewing is here, of course. They aren't pouring damnation, but they're pouring salvation, which is also terrific, and also Pliny the Elder. So you should go out and check them out.
3: Great. Lauren. Uh, my choice was Dogfish Head's Palo I, I Santo. knew that was Palo Santo. <laughs> as soon as he
0: he's... Comes as as there, he comes over there.
3: You can congratulate him on brewing a fantastic beer because <laughs> it is delicious. And... Uh, yeah, that's it. So soon, well soon As you,
0: soon as I tasted that, because I had it just up in the, in the reception, and as soon as you said wood, I was like, that's Palisanto. Well, you know, man. I
3: left it general with wood. I could have said Paraguayan wood, and then I know all of the beer geeks in the audience would be like, I know what this is.
2: All
1: right, Ken? Uh, dogfish head, worldwide Style, Which is
3: amazing. Wow. <laughs>
2: so they, none of them knew what the other was I'm, picking. I'm and feeling, two of them I'm feeling picked a little bit bread. like
1: Hillary Clinton now. You know. I, <laughs>
2: That's amazing. Well, I mean, again, congratulations, Lauren. Nice job, you guys. Thank you for letting us out, you, in public.
0: Congratulations.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Very close, <laughs> call. Very close call.
2: Go forth,
3: ye cross drinkers. Have a good time. We're going to clear the room. Thank you very much. And if anybody's interested in a new copy of Wine Enthusiast Magazine, they're in the front, so feel free to come and get it.
0: Thanks, and we hope you enjoyed this Craft Beer Radio coverage of Savor. To find more, visit www.craftbeerradio.com slash Savor. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit www.craftbeerradio.com for more details.